Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to milwaukeemafia.com slash ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back with another episode. Feels like a while since we did one it of these. It feels like forever to me, yeah. I don't know. So what do you got for us? Uh, I've, got a, I've got a great one today. A great one. Yeah. So setting the bar high. I'm setting the bar high. I think uh, think you're going to like it. I think the listeners are going to like it. Before I get to it, though, I wanted to uh, I wanted to do some uh, some house cleaning business. Ooh, some house cleaning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I had a conversation off the air about how long this podcast would run. Yes. And uh, I'm not going to say what I said it was going to run. But I want to give listeners an idea here. The notes that I use each time, I try to keep to four pages or less. Right now, the master list that I'm working from is about 320 pages. Okay. Which means if I stop doing anything right now, I've got about 80 episodes worth of notes. Okay. I've also got many, many FBI files I've not taken notes from, more stuff that'll show up in the mail, police files that I'll request, and so on. I'm not going to give it a firm number, but let's just say that we're, we're not running out. <laughs> we're not running out. We're going to be here until Eric gets sick of doing this because <laughs> the material it keeps coming. I'm curious, So, so at, but do we, do we cross a point where we would go back and revisit previous time periods it's possible just because that's not the way i have it set up right now so then when you say you you have a lot more notes to request yet that's stuff coming up in the timeline yeah okay that's that's a fair point that could potentially go backwards that's Mm -hmm. true okay but yeah right now the stuff i haven't taken notes from yet i've specifically put in order Right. So right now, the earliest file that I have that isn't completely taken notes from is 1962. Nothing we do from here on out will be before that. Um, and we should be moving steadily forward each week. So I, I assume that it's going to take us to like two years to get through the 60s, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, easily. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. well. Again, so people know, like, the bulk of the information is going to be the 60s and 70s. Okay. Get used to it. 60s and 70s (laughs) is going to be be the time frame. Yeah, it's largely what we're going to be doing. And I think we've had this conversation before, but this, most of this is basically because this is where the FBI really jumps in and starts tracking everything. So there's a lot of files to look through. It's not so much probably that the mafia Milwaukee mafia was maybe more active mm-hmm. but it's more so just that they were being more watched and there's a whole lot more information about what was going on during this time absolutely frame. absolutely yeah so 
as as I've explained, like in the past, like 1961, a lot of new federal gambling laws went into effect, which meant there were a lot more people on the edges of the mob being watched because in the past, the FBI didn't care if you were a bookie. Now they did. Um, so that picks up in the 60s and 70s, and then it drops off after the 70s because all the major players go to prison by around 84. It's not necessarily the two peak decades, but it's the decades that we have the most documentation of. Gotcha. All right, so where are we going today? Okay, so today's episode is called Tommy Mackey and the Riviera. Uh, right off the bat, I'm going to say that I'm going to be saying the name Mackey. It may more accurately be Maki or something to that effect, but I know that the family has used Mackey. Um, they had a bar called Mackey's, for example. So I'm just going to use that pronunciation. If somebody wants to ding me on it, go for it. Um, there's a reason I'm pronouncing it the way I am. So this isn't just me using my Midwest accent to, to read Italian. And just to confuse everybody, when I'm going to use the reverse of what you do. Because then you, we're 50. You are? Yeah. So if you say Mackie, I'm going to say Maki. Okay. <laughs> just so no. And so, it'll turn out to be neither one. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> but so this is going to be about uh, about Tommy Mackey and his brothers, but mostly Tommy, a bar they ran called the Riviera. Okay. Tommy was born in Milwaukee, February 23rd, 1916. He was distantly related to all the usual suspects in Milwaukee, the Alioto family, the Dentis family, the Balistrieri family, and so on. There's nothing really showing him closely related to any other known mobsters, um, and any affiliation he had with the mob was probably just from growing up in the same neighborhood. Both Tommy and his brother Tony were known to attend mob meetings, like actually sitting at the table when business was discussed. So we know they were in on it. I have no evidence that they were ever actually quote unquote made, became made members. You know, I don't know how big of a difference that made mm -hmm. as far as, you know, this goes. They were definitely aware of what was going on. In his younger days, Tommy would be picked up periodically for small offenses. He was arrested in 35 for larceny, given probation. He was arrested in 38 for disorderly conduct, released. Arrested in 1940 for disorderly conduct, put on probation. Arrested in 1946 for being caught inside a gambling house. He was fined $5. <laughs> $5? Well, I suppose $5 is a lot more significant than back yeah. then. then. <laughs> He was picked up during an investigation in October 1947 and released. I don't know specifically what for. On people's police records, it'll say picked up for investigation. And that could be any number of things. They could be looking into some crime, and this person has really nothing to do with it whatsoever. They're just held for an hour and questioned. So I don't know specifically what they thought he knew in that case. The Midwest Soap Company, which was on Detroit street in uh, Milwaukee, was raided by police on October 2nd, 1951, and was found to have no soap. <laughs> they did find Izzy Taco, or Izzy Toco, I'm going to say Taco, and then people are going to really nail me for that, <laughs> yeah. with, with 50 football pool cards, which is like a gambling card you can fill out each week for football betting, tally sheets with last week's scores, and $980 in its pockets. Inside, after knocking in the door with a sledgehammer, they found three men throwing, quote-unquote, soft sheets out the window that contained the names of horses and jockeys. 
not exactly sure what a soft shade is, but whatever it is, it's paper that has a horse and jockey's name on it. So something for gambling. Yeah. The room had tables, chairs, telephones, but no soap. (laughs) But no soap. (laughs) Also arrested was Tommy Mackey, Edward Schlein, Fred Avina, and they were fined ten dollars each. So after all that, ten dollars (laughs) each. Definitely caught running some kind of a, a horse gambling room of some sort. Tony, Tommy's brother, around 19, September 1951, takes over the Riviera Bar, which is at 401 North Plankinton, where he offers 35-cent martinis as their special. Ooh. Already at the time of purchase, it had a reputation as a bar for gay men and hustlers. And hustlers in this context are basically uh, male prostitutes. Okay. The place was originally opened around 1947 as the Anchor Inn, which catered to sailors. And, of course, you know what happens when you open a bar for sailors. <laughs> what happens, Gavin? It becomes a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's, for, for this, I don't, I, I for, don't for think listeners, that's really true, but... <laughs> for listeners, that, is, that isn't me making a gay joke. That's me making a joke because Eric was in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, the Riviera opened where the Anchor Inn was. Apparently, Anchor Inn didn't stay open very long. Opened in November 1949, uh, where it was run by John Balistrieri, not our John Balistrieri, unrelated, uh, and his cousin, John Trilligi, who has come up on here before because he committed a major heist in Reno, Nevada, as well as possibly was defrauding the uh, Veterans Administration during a construction thing. So he's come up on here a few times. Uh, he also, we now know, briefly owned a gay bar in Milwaukee. <laughs> There's that. But they didn't run it very long either before then Tony Mackey and his brothers sort of took over. Across the street was a bar called Mary's. It was run by Mary Wathen. It's quoted as being one of the city's first quote-unquote gay for pay bars and i'm not entirely sure what that means in this context gay for pay usually means you are a male prostitute but you yourself are not gay you just do things with men for the money okay so i don't know if in this context that means that this is the place that male prostitutes were known to hang out to to cater to the gay community I'm not entirely sure. Or if it was like almost a brothel in in a sense? I don't think it was quite to that point. I don't know. Interesting. This place got cracked down on hard. The police chief said, you know, we got to pull their license. Very undesirable elements are hanging out there. Apparently, even the owner didn't like the people <laughs> who were hanging out there. Because uh, as the story goes... She didn't stay more than like a year before she's like, I'm out of here and, and, <laughs> and, and sold it off and moved out west. So she's like, I don't want anything to do with anything that's going on here. And uh, you and I uh, are in an email chain right now with somebody who knows a lot more about this. And uh, so hopefully we'll have him on as a guest yes. in the near future because he'll go into, into more detail about uh, this stuff. That for today, it, that doesn't matter. The, the the Mary story is not really a key part of this. I just want to make a point of saying that that's across the street, so this neighborhood is kind of known for this. Uh, an article from the 1961 Milwaukee Journal Sentinel 
shows that the place was sort of being harassed. This being the Riviera. Judge Seraphim fined one of the owners, Andy Mackey, $50 for permitting dancing. The defense's argument was that the ordinance was not violated because the six people dancing were all men. I don't know what the how the ordinance reads, but their argument was like it's not it's not dancing if it's all just men. At this point in time, was having dancing in a bar illegal? I believe it still is. Actually, I'm pretty really? sure it still is. Okay, because I I this might be a city by city thing, but I can tell you that there are rules about having to get a spe- special permit to allow dancing in your bar. Okay, okay. I, okay, I can see that. Kind of like I will use around here where Macville, they can only be topless and, and right. like other, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, they can't have alcohol if they're topless or something like that. Right. right? Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I heard from bar owners that, you know, if one person gets up and dances, that's fine. I mean, they're drunk, they can do whatever. <laughs> but you can't actually have like a dance area yeah, yeah. if you're not permitted to have one. Okay. And that does totally make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So their argument is like, yeah, this is it's not dancing. It's like they're not doing anything. It's just guys. And the judge responds, Well, you know, that this place caters to that kind of clientele. <laughs> you know, didn't explicitly say it, but he he made it known. He's like, I, I know What's who going goes on to here. this bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just to say again, this is nineteen sixty one. So like people know at this point, like the gay community is very much underground yet. But people know. They know They know where, where the bars the are. Right. Quote, On Sunday afternoons, the place was loaded with cops. Sometimes they'd bring their women, but rarely did they bring their wives. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is from the book LGBT Milwaukee. It's a, an anonymous person having a memory of, of being there. Uh, so how reliable that is, I don't know. But it's a fun quote. <laughs> Tommy Mackey, our actual focus this time, was robbed at 7.30 p.m. on March 13, 1961, by three unknown men. Um, But he did not file a complaint with the police. His brother, Tony, actually reported it after the fact. And then when the police asked, Tommy confirmed it, but he refused to put it on the record. The three men knocked Tommy down while he was entering his garage, asked him his name to confirm that he was the person they were looking for, told him to keep quiet and then brought him back in his house. His pockets were rummaged through and he was tied to a chair. They searched the house and left with between $2,500 and $3,000, as well as a ring and gold cufflinks. Tommy said he would not file a complaint because he did not want publicity, but he did offer the police a whiskey bottle that the men had drank from while they were in his house if they wanted to check it for fingerprints. I don't know how you want to take this. Somebody breaks into my house, ties me to a chair, and steals $3,000 from me. Not happy? Not happy. And this is 61, so keep in mind, adjusted for inflation. inflation that's a lot more money. That's a lot it? more I mean, 3000 yeah. today is a good chunk, but that's it's, even yeah. more. To just be like, yeah, I'm not going to file a complaint about this. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he probably, I mean, that tells me that he know who knows who did it. That, and that's what and it just like. doesn't want to mess with, you know, rising, raising any anything. That's that exactly person. the way I read that, too, yeah. is that he's like, I'm going to get in more trouble if I report this. this. Yeah. 
An informant uh, for the FBI somehow heard about this robbery and reported it to the FBI, um, which the FBI doesn't do anything about that, but it just goes in their notes. They did note, the FBI did note in their report that the Riviera was, quote, a hangout for sexual perverts. The FBI knows <laughs> knows what the Riviera is. And, and keeping in mind, of course, this is the language of the time. Right, like, yeah. there's, people aren't doing, like, really weird things here. This is just the way they referred or to dude. the... That was just really weird for that era. Yeah. Right. Okay, the FBI interviewed a captain of the vice squad of the Milwaukee Police Department about Tommy Mackey. They were under the suspicion that Tommy was still gambling, being a bookie. And they came to the conclusion after talking with the police that, you know, he might gamble a little bit on the side, but it's not his primary profession. He's fully invested in the bar, so, you know, he's not he's not the big gambler you think he is. So the FBI is like, okay. Uh, they also talked to a U.S. attorney, uh, William Mulligan, and he tells a similar story. He goes, yeah, we know that they've gambled in the past. They're not really known today to be big gamblers, so don't worry about them. Apparently, the FBI wasn't convinced after talking to the police and the uh, U.S. attorney because they started pulling his phone records anyway. <laughs> and they're finding phone calls he makes to Las Vegas, Chicago, Beloit, uh, and uh, other places. And really, like, they're thorough here. Like, they pull these records, they see who the phone number belongs to, and then they do, like, a brief check on that person mm -hmm. to see if that person has any connection to gambling. Uh, so there's, like, a half dozen people they look at. I'm not going to go through that here. Um, it's in the notes, so if people want to read that, they can. Long story short, like, they don't find anything here. Like, they're thorough. They're checking up on everybody this guy has called, and they find nothing. That's great. The FBI then stops at Andy Mackey's house. This is another one of these people. Right. To interview him. The, the FBI agent specifically times his visit to coincide with peak horse betting hours. He goes, that way while I'm interviewing, I'll see if any phone calls come in from people making horse bets. No phone calls came in. Really nothing uh, too exciting happened out of the interview. Other than that, the... This this Mackey brother, Andy Mackey, specifically said, we're not being shaken down here. We're not paying any kind of tax to stay open. Um, because there's always this rumor that businesses have to pay to the mob for protection. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're a gay bar, uh, because there's the, the theory that you need the extra protection to get the police off your back. And, and I don't know. They deny it. I can't say that there's any evidence for it. I'd have to side with them saying they probably weren't, unless I saw otherwise. Weren't what, charging for protection, are you saying? Right. Okay. Right. And honestly, in Milwaukee, I don't even know how paying the mob keeps the police off your back, because it never really occurs to me that the Milwaukee mob has a lot of influence on where the police do or don't. Yeah, I think know? we've discussed this in a lot of episodes where it seemed like ironically the milwaukee police department seemed through all of this to stay really clean right you know yeah. there's not a lot of evidence of them tightly working with the mafia to do anything horrible right exactly i mean there's if you want to go through really thorough there's 
there's incidents here and there of bad cops. And generally speaking, the bad cops end up working in the vice squad. And because their entire job is investigating prostitution and gambling, they kind of they bend the rules for certain people and whatever. And I'm not saying that's okay, but in the grand scheme, like it's relatively minor compared to what other police departments in cities, perhaps like Chicago, were doing. Milwaukee overall, I I, I give it a passing grade. Mm-hmm. All right, Tommy Mackey himself was interviewed by the FBI on December third, nineteen sixty two, at his residence. He really said like. We think that you're paying protection. We keep getting these rumors. You guys are paying protection. Now we're hearing rumors specifically that you're paying it to Joe Guerrera, who is this mob strongman that Frank Belsery brought in from Kansas City to shake down the gamblers. This is what we're hearing. Tell us if this is true. Tommy Mackey says, I know Joe Guerrera. We've met at the taverns in town. Um, I see him occasionally at Gallagher's, the Balestrieri nightclub or bar. And Mackey said that they'd even played golf together one time. He said, I don't know what Guerrero does for a living, but he's never threatened me in any way. I don't make payoffs to him or anyone else in any kind of syndicate or mafia. And if I was approached to do so, I would inform the authorities immediately. He was asked about the time that he was robbed in his own house, and he said, Yeah, that, that's true. That did happen. I was robbed by three men in my house. They took $1,000 from my pockets and another $2,500 that they found in my house. He goes, The thing that you probably didn't hear was that my parents were also home at the time, and they were tied up too. Mackey said he suspected the robbery was ordered by a local man who he would not name, and was committed by three men from out of town. He claimed he didn't know who the three men were. Again, so now now we know that not only is he tied up, apparently he lives with his parents, parents and, and his parents t- are tied up too, which even more, okay, you, you are being threatened, tied up, money stolen from you. That's pretty bad. Your parents are tied up and threatened too, but you're still not going to tell anybody. He's saying he thinks it was a local man and he had three guys from out of town come in. I don't even know where you would get that idea if you didn't have some guess as to who that was. Well, it it sounds like he knows who the local man was. I think he does. And he knew that he would just bring in people from outside of town to to take care of that dirty work. I think he does because it's... It's such an oddly specific thing to say. Like, this is what I think happened. And yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you know what happened. You just don't want to say Same anyway. Yeah. yeah. You just don't want to tick off that person that did the yes. crime. So. The FBI then uh, did something that I think is really unusual. And they went and they interviewed Tommy Mackey's fiance. I, it's very, very rare that I ever see... Wives or girlfriends get interviewed. Hmm. She said she had been married once before and had an eight-year-old son from her prior marriage. She didn't want to discuss anything concerning Tommy or any of the Mackey brothers other than she would admit that, yeah, they own and operate the Riviera. 
She said she sh- she knew nothing of Tommy's business affairs, and even if she did, she did not think it would be appropriate for her to divulge anything to the authorities. She said that while gambling may be illegal, she did not personally find it morally objectionable. She's just like, I'm not going to talk to you guys. <laughs> you know, good for her. Good for her. Uh, seriously, like, that's rude. Be like, hey, man. Tell us all about your husband and what, or what your fiance, and yeah, what what he's up to, so we can arrest him. Yeah, rude, rude. <laughs> Who's gonna do that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it puts you in such a terrible position. All right, coming down to the end now. You ready for the grand finale of the story? I am ready for the grand finale of the story. Okay. On March 15th, 1964, the Riviera burns down. The FBI noted that although the cause appeared to be arson, Tony Mackey was probably not behind it, or any of the Mackey brothers for that matter, as the tavern was underinsured. They wouldn't have made a profit off of burning it down. In fact, they made more money staying open because they were a very successful and I'm, I apologize for this language. This is from the <laughs> FBI report. It's a very profitable fag joint. Okay. That was how the that, FBI... That's actually in the FBI file. That wow. is how they referred to it. Wow. The catastrophic five-alarm fire consumed the Riviera and devastated the block. Quote, I was on vacation in California, said an anonymous person in LGBT Milwaukee. When someone called me to say, your house is on fire, come home. Which, you know, is to say that they spent so much time there. It was like okay, their I was going to say, like, what? what? <laughs> okay. At 6 p.m., someone ran into the bar and yelled fire. Bartender Richard Eisensee remained open until policemen ordered him to evacuate. <laughs> wow. Quote, when we left, the ceiling was on fire, he said. But you just don't leave a dirty bar. <laughs> Now that is motivation, Yeah, I mean. (laughs) The ruin smoldered for a week. Rumor has it that a lover's spat ended with one of the men setting fire to the building. Really? Yeah. (laughs) So about that. Uh, The FBI interviewed Tony Mackey, said, yeah, Riviera was financially successful and the loss of the tavern was a big setback because... We were insured, but we weren't insured for all that. Mm. So he's like, we we took a loss here. The brothers were trying to then lease the Royal Hotel Bar to start again. Tony freely admitted to the FBI that he didn't like Tommy's fiance. I don't know why that even come up, but he says that. He says, even if I did like her personally, I think Tommy's too old to get married anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine the FBI guy being like. Why are you telling me this? Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> but they wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, 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 and then they write it down on top of that. <laughs> when asked about gambling, Tony said that, I don't know anything about gambling, and even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. So that we're going to end this interview right now. <laughs> uh, the Mackey brothers reopened a new tavern that they just called The Riv, instead of The Riviera, just The Riv, on 3rd Street just south of State Street, and then later they opened a a much better-known place called Teddy's, which was on North Farwell Avenue. We might 
do that in the future. Teddy's is kind of well-known. Um, and Teddy's featured disco music and was later bought and renamed into Shank Hall, which people are probably familiar with well, if they know Milwaukee. You. I've been been to a concert there, I'm pretty sure. So Yeah. If you were in Shank Hall, you were in a former Mackey Brothers establishment. Ooh. Yeah. I always find, because I feel like we discussed this in in a past episode too, the whole thing about how the mafia is so tied into the LGBTQ community, and I apologize if I screw up that Mac acronym because yeah. I'm just not good at them, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Do you, is there, and we probably, we may have discussed this, but is there, can you come to a, any reasonable explanation for why that is? Was it just that this was a taboo thing at the time? that they felt like they could exploit for money? It's hard to say. Now, we know that there is definitely an overlap, and definitely more so, I would say, in other cities. New York was famous for that. Like Their, their biggest uh, gay bars were known to be mafia-owned. Like It was not really a secret. And there they were strongly suspected of doing it for protection reasons because the mafia would keep the police away um, similar in chicago and in milwaukee it's weird because again like i don't think there's that protection element there i don't know what the motivation is because the Mackey brothers are not gay mm-hmm. so it's not like they're like hey we want a yeah, place we, that we caters want- to our community. That isn't their motivation. Like, their motivation is to make a profit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, unless it's as simple as that, it's just here's a percentage of the community, the Milwaukee community, that isn't getting places to hang out. And and I, it almost sounds like that's a very strong possibility because... I mean, it almost sounds like they're just finding a taboo niche because mm-hmm. these places probably didn't exist because it was that community was so taboo at this point in time. It, it didn't. It didn't. And, the, the Riviera, when it was known as the Anchor Inn, like that was really, really early. That was ni- oh, 1947. That is not a thing. Really, it wasn't until the 60s that gay bars were like, I'm sure they existed forever. It wasn't really like a known thing until the 60s. So, And I just find that whole dyna- dynamic to be so interesting because, if I remember right, Italians are extremely, extremely religious by nature, right? Generally. So, so it just seems I don't, I, I don't want to say something to throw an entire nation yeah, yeah, into a group. But, but generally, yes, yeah, they're, 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 Italians they're st- are by and large very Catholic, yes. That's a very taboo thing in their religion, which just seems weird that they would venture off into that that yeah business. That's a really good point. It's just an interesting dynamic that I th- I don't think I'll ever understand. I don't know that I'll ever understand it either. I honestly don't know, but it is. There's more than coincidence here. There's something. There's some yeah. link because we have it here with the Riviera and the. Previous version of the Riviera, the one that the Mackey Brothers bought out, they bought from John Trillier, he's another guy connected to the mob. I, I believe the place, I don't know if we talked about the Mint Bar, but the Mint Bar um, was owned by the Aiello family. Another strong connection there. I think the one we talked about was the Pink Glove. And yep, the but, Pink Glove sounds really familiar. And strong mob connection there. It's not that 
every gay bar had mafia connections, but an overwhelming number of the early ones did. Mm-hmm. Can't just be a coincidence, right? Like, there's got to be something yeah. here. And, and it just seems like, because it's this, in a way, it's very similar to, like, gambling. Because mm-hmm. gambling, again, was very taboo at yeah. that point in time. So, like, it was something that the mafia just grabbed onto. Yeah. And, and I think that's what it is, is just they saw a niche that was taboo that nobody else was willing to do anything with. And they're like, there's money to be made here. And they went out and made the money with it. Yeah, and it, and it may be as simple as that, as it's something that's, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's like, it's in that realm. Right. Where you know you're going to get more police harassment it's than me. your average bar. Right, exactly. The other thing I found interesting about this story, and so you said that there was two of the Mackies would sit down you know that they were at mafia meetings. Yeah, Tommy right. and Tony for sure. For sure. So, but you said that you're not sure if they were actually mafia members. What leads you to believe that they're not? They might not be mafia members because to me, it seems like if you're sitting down at a mafia meeting, that's a pretty strong indication that they're not just going to let anybody sit at those meetings. Yeah. So, is it just that you have nothing that specifically states that they're mafia? I have nothing that specifically states, states that they are. Yeah. When when the FBI or the police would go and they had asked their informants, like, who are the mem- people you know who are members? And they'd give them lists. Like, they don't show up on those lists. And a big part of this is really how you define it. The definitions are flexible mm-hmm. if you're strictly saying people who went through the whole ceremony and are officially quote unquote made members i don't think they make that list but if your definition of a mafia member is much more loose and it's somebody who's like in the hierarchy in the chain of command i would say they're probably in it they'd be on the low end mm-hmm. but they'd be in it i guess it depends and it's it's tough because some people are super strict about about this, where they're like, "Is only the serious core is is the mafia." And I think that's a really safe way to approach it. It might be too strict, and I've seen other people go to the other extreme, where even people who have never done anything criminal in their life but are just kind of willing to look the other way and give people a pass and allow them to do what they do, then they're kind of like branded as like mafia affiliated, which is not fair. There's like that other extreme of just being like too loose, being like, okay, so you got the mafia guys, the mafia exists because this other group of people is letting them exist. And I think that's too loose. The Mackey's, are not on the super tight end and definitely not on the super loose end. They're in kind of like a happy medium area where I don't think they're made, but if you were making a list of people who were actively kicking money to the mafia, they got to be on that list. So they were more like associates probably of the mafia. Yeah. Like I, when we did the, the kind of the chain of command thing again. Yeah. There were kind of the 
what you called when we did it you talked about like bookies and things like that yeah and they would fall under that category where they're working tightly with the mob but they're just not mafia members yeah basically yeah and the your business the hierarchy again and that's and that's a flexible thing that's something that was created by law enforcement in new york city and it generally applies nationwide every place does it a little different but generally, yeah, it's you got your boss, you got your underboss, who's like your right-hand man. You got your counselor or the consigliere. You got your capos, who are like your lieutenants, your heads of different crews. They have soldiers, and the soldiers have associates. And the associates would be kind of where... And associates think- are, when you get down to that point, that's generally where you have the guys who are involved in things they really have no allegiance to the mob at all it's just you know it's more of a business transaction right right it's a it's a partnership right what one way or the other so the if we're using this structure the mackies might be associates they might even be soldiers i don't know you know but they'd be somewhere definitely on that lower lower end. end but now a soldier would be a made member correct generally yes okay Okay. Generally, yes. But I, I think it, it all depends because in New York, they're very strict about it. They follow the old, you know, ceremony, whatever. Whereas in Chicago, they don't. Chicago would, would go back and forth depending on who was boss. Sometimes one boss would want to do the whole ceremony thing and another boss would say, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. There were entire decades in chicago where guys would have been considered members but they but they never never did any ceremony gotcha and milwaukee i think is more old school than chicago in that sense but i also don't think they were as super strict Strict. as new york because throughout the entire 1960s there's like five guys who actually get made Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more than five guys who start doing criminal things for the mob i don't know it's it's weird anytime you get like a super strict definition i think you run into trouble yeah because these are all like things put on it by law enforcement and by professors and things like that to try to make sense of it but it's like largely artificial because like the guys who are actually living this life, like they don't think in those yeah, terms, yeah, right? You know, like they're not like being like, oh, they're I'm, not. Po- I'm, a, I'm an associate of the yeah. mob. I hope I'm a soldier someday. Like, but they don't think like that. And and they're like, they're not pulling out the mafia manual to be like, okay, well, right. what's the proper procedures for this point in time? You know, like, right? You know, that we there were rough guidelines, but probably every mafia swayed from them a little bit, but they were kind of all around in that area. Right, yeah, like this is, it's a general guideline of how things are set up. Nothing is 100% the way that it's like laid out in a textbook. Like it's not how it works. And like even like the the capos, the people beneath the underboss who have the different crews. I mean, traditionally they were called capo decenas, which uh, literally means the head of 10, which meant that you were the captain of 10 10 guys, guys. And those 10 guys would then have their own associates. Well, that's like, they're very rarely called, they're generally just called capos now because like, v- very just, re- the, like the, there was never like a serious intent like, oh, 
you got eleven guys. You got you got you to gotta kick kill out one, one of your of, guys. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. got to kill one of them off because it's it's supposed to only be ten. <laughs> yeah, like so like, they don't follow this structure that closely. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So that's interesting. And so now you said so that's that- a huge tangent. But just just to get to the point where like trying to say. We know who the boss is. We know who the underboss is. Like we, that stuff is pretty firm. on the, On the lower end, like I don't think they're going around calling each other by these the titles. titles. And and again, not even really paying attention to the way it's supposed to work, but just finding the way it works for them. Yeah, basically. the the Mackies don't care. The Mackies <laughs> are like, we're gonna we're gonna do run some gambling and we'll kick up some money when to you. Doing, That's all they care. Right. And you did say so. Now the Mackies are probably going to come up again in the future. Because they will of come this up again. Other bar that they opened up. They might come up because of Taddy's. I don't know if we'll do the Taddy's thing or not, but they'll definitely come back because up to this point that we did today, it was sort of hinting at that they were coming out of the gambling. They weren't really into it anymore. Spoiler: That's not true. True, <laughs> it's going to come back around. Now. They'll, they'll, they'll come back around. Uh, they'll end up. Getting definitely caught up in yeah, in in some uh, in some booking. So gotcha. All right. Well, I don't have any other questions. So you got anything else you want to add to this one before we wrap her up? No, not really. Uh, other than again to say, um, hopefully we get our our guest uh, on in the next episode or two. I don't I mean it's not urgent. I'd like to kind of follow up soon while it's fresh in people's minds because. The bar that's across the street from the Riviera, this guy knows a whole lot about the whole history of that place, um, an unsolved murder connected with it. It's very loosely mafia story. So, you know, I'd rather have somebody else tell it than me tell it, especially because he did all the research. It's only fair that he tells the story. (laughs) So wait, how did you get connected with this person? Are they a part of an organization or something that... I'm trying to say this in a way where I'm not saying the person's name. Okay. Because if I say their name and then we don't get them as a guest, you know? (laughs) There are another... People can probably figure it out from the context. There are another person who is a Milwaukee historian. Okay. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that we're friends, but like we run in the same circle. So we we bounce questions off of each other and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. So everybody has that to look forward to. And with that, we can wrap this episode up. I don't think I've mentioned this in a while, but we do have a Patreon. So we do have pa- a Patreon. Check that out at patreon.com slash Milwaukee Mafia. We do also have a mailing list. You can find that at MilwaukeeMafia.com. And Gavin, do you have some contact information for everybody? Sure. You can email me, MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. And yeah, seriously, check out the Patreon. I, you know, I'm not a big pusher of it. It's a great source for more behind-the-scenes discussion, and um, it's really where I kind of drop the, the hints about things that will be coming up in the future, not just on this podcast, but in other projects I have going on. So I don't know why you'd care, but if you do care, uh, check it out because you'll hear it before anybody else. Well, I will say that I happen to really like the Milwaukee Mafia Patreon. I do in too. Fact, in fact, the Patreons are, are my favorite episodes to record. So I like them too, but I'm just saying like it's uh, it's it's more the behind the scenes part of it. So, And I think personally, everybody should be a subscriber to it just because I think it's the best part what some of the best content you'll get your hands on so wow that's just me okay (laughs) 
So with that, we'll wrap this episode up. We'll be back next week with a Patreon episode and two weeks with a regular Mafia episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.